Hello, and welcome to the latest editor's podcast from Financial Advisor and FT Advisor. My name is Simone Kiriakou, editor of Financial Advisor, and today we're talking fees. In fact, we've not stopped talking fees and levies since the latest set of bills started arriving on advisors' desks earlier this year, with eye-watering increases in their contributions to the Financial Services Compensation Scheme funding announced. This is despite the obvious disruption to business caused by the COVID-19 lockdown from March to June this year, along with the challenges presented by the ever-rising professional indemnity insurance premiums. Add to this the fact that device firms are not allowed to dip into their capital buffers, that's another regulatory requirement and effectively a double indemnity, given advice firms also need PI cover to operate in this market. You can understand why advice firms are feeling the weight of these financial burdens. In case you think this is just editorial hyperbole, um, I can say honestly that I'm seeing from advisors and I'm hearing from advisors that they're getting additional stress and worry because of these disproportionately high levies. I receive several letters a day where they talk about their mental well-being being at risk, um, the fragility of their business models. Um, at a time when the Financial Conduct Authority is sending out impact studies upon impact studies and they're having to respond to all these letters, well, you can understand why we are at a crunch time for financial advisors. And the industry really needs to work together now to impress upon the FCA and HM Treasury the need for a thorough review of the FSCS funding structure. So the Keep Fees Fair letter writing campaign is making noise in Parliament. Uh, And we know that the correlation between fees and a contraction in the advice market was already helpfully highlighted by PIMFA at the Work and Pensions Committee inquiry into pension scams. And hopefully the campaign will lead to a Treasury Committee inquiry into the effectiveness of financial regulation in the advice industry and whether we need a financial advice market review too. And while the FCA is responsible for setting its own budgets and that of the FSCS levy, various tinkering they've done over the past few years haven't really helped the thousands of advice firms who've never had a complaint or had a complaint upheld against them, but are still shelling out to pay the price for the polluters. So it is to be hoped the campaign might provide some political impetus for a real and practical change. In fact, as Financial Advisor reported this week, some firms have received bills requesting increases of 160% on last year's bill. But due to COVID-19, their own firm's profits are projected to be flat at best. And once again, these firms have had zero complaints made against them this year. So what can be done? Talking to us today about all things fees is Gemma Hall, Managing Director of Quilter Financial Planning, Rob Sinclair, Chief Executive of the Association of Mortgage Intermediaries, Keith Richards, Chief Executive of the Personal Finance Society, and Tim Fassen, Director of Government Relations and Policy for the Personal Investment Management and Financial Advice Association, PIMPA for short. Welcome all. Good morning. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Um, Tim, might I please start with you? Could you explain, from your organisation's point of view, what the severe hikes in fees are meaning for your advice members? Absolutely. Um, I, jo- I joined PIM for about six months ago and I have been meeting all of our members and spending a lot of time uh, talking to uh, CEOs across um, the, the advice spectrum. And it's safe to say FSCS is the number one issue that they're raising with me as their concern about the marketplace. And partly, you're absolutely right, that is about um, uh, a, a uh, ever-increasing fee that's unpredictable in every other respect, apart from going up, um, that's increasingly becoming a strain and is an increasingly high proportion of their um, their, their, discretion, their, their non-discretionary costs. 
Um, but I think what is almost more important is that it is seen as an indicator of a wider problem with the system. And most of our members highlight that actually, and, and this is a point I made to the select committee, um, falling onto the FSCS is not a good outcome for a customer. It's a deeply stressful and unpleasant thing to happen. Um, and it involves delays, it involves complex processes, sometimes delays of, of years. And what is very clear is that a system where ever-increasing numbers of customers are falling onto the FSCS isn't working. And really, there are two two areas that, that concern them, and I'm sure we'll talk more about this later. One is the frequency with which unregulated products are falling into the compensation scheme. Mm. The other is the extent to which uh, the FCA has got the supervisory balance right. And that comes not only from their experience of the FSCS, but it comes from their own experience, many of them being regulated via the call centre, um, feeling that the FCA doesn't have a good understanding of their business and how they operate, and they'd be perfectly happy to, um, and would in, in fact be keen for the regulator to better understand their business because they're competent, they're doing the right things. And they're thinking, well, if we're getting this little focus, what's happening to the bad guys? What's happening to the those that are... Um, that, that are outside this uh, this system. And finally, increasingly, they're raising concerns about market distortion. So phoenixing is the most obvious example of this, but also areas where they're seeing um, firms put assets up for sale and then um, shutting down their advice wing to fall so that the advice risk falls onto the FSCS. And again, these all end up pushing up costs for, for the members. So I think that's really where, where most of our members are coming from. One, deep frustration that, that they are paying for the bad behaviour of others and that this is going up year on year, but real concern about what that ever-increasing bill means about the wider system. Hmm, absolutely. Keith, you've often uh, mentioned that word, uh, market distortion, to us. Could you talk a little bit more about what uh, this is meaning for your guys? Absolutely, Simone. The... Um... Uh, I mean, this has been rumbling on for quite a number of years, so there's nothing new about the frustrations around the unpredictability of, uh, of additional FSCS levies. But I, I take a slightly different uh, take on this, that it, it isn't about the polluters. The FSCS is made up of, of an undefinable amount of liability that's been built up over many years. So, for example, pre-RDR, the last major network that defaulted was Honister Capital, and that meant all of the liability of all of those financial advisors for the whole of their advising career, then shifted into the FSCS. Now, that wasn't polluters that were putting that liability in there. That was a failure of a, a major network who ironically couldn't secure adequate PI cover uh, to cover some of the known liabilities that they had. So we get a bit confused about this being all about a, a minority of firms who deliberately go and do the wrong thing and then wind their company up and dump the liability on everyone else. That's a really small part of the issue. The issue is that this has been building up for many, many years. We've got a legacy liability pool that, that no one can properly define and is why year on year we keep seeing increased and unwelcome additional levies on the sector. It's really frustrating and compounded over the past few years because 
uh, back in 2016, advisors started to see some massive hikes in PI insurance. And of course, where it's all interlinked is that if PI continues to harden in the way that we've seen it, not only does it deny consumers access to advice, but actually the bigger risk isn't the increased cost to operate, is the fact that the increased exposure could see more firms fail because they're not covered at the point of a claim, which then means all of their advice liability goes into the FSCS. A reducing number of firms in the market means that the remainder have to shoulder a much bigger percentage of the FSCS that is going forward. So it, it's really not going to get better. It's only going one way, uh, and a solution is, is desperately needed. Advisors across the country are really frustrated now because they often feel uh, helpless in, no, in understanding what they can do to address this. So many have been writing to MPs, uh, but we'll come on to this a bit later, why actually there's a bit of confusion about where the responsibility mm. of SCS sits uh, between government and regulators. Mm, absolutely. Um, Rob, I saw, I saw you nodding, and I know in previous conversations with you, you've often raised the point um, about the, the, the professional indemnity insurance being a huge sticking point and one that perhaps people sometimes think of less than they think of the actual bills that are coming through. But actually, PI is a really, really big sticking point for all sort of advisors and brokers, isn't it? Um, I think we have significant challenges in the PI market at the moment and that one of the major firms that was underwriting risk has exited the market in the last 12 months. And that means that firms who are being um, underwritten by them when they come to renewal are going to have difficulty, particularly dealing with the iceberg of liabilities, as I like to call it, that Keith alluded to earlier, that all firms carry behind them for doing the great job that they do advising consumers. And it doesn't matter whether it's good or bad advice, that liability they carry behind them for their legacy of having a great reputation over time still sits there. Now, an insurer who's coming new to the market may have a view about whether they want to pick up that new liability versus what they may be looking at in terms of the firm's existing ability to write business and their strengths and ability around that. And the regulator has to have a better and more pragmatic view around that, in my view, going forwards and how we differentiate between forward-looking liability and backward liability. And that's why Keith's points about the, the growing issues that are still there on previously failed firms that sit in the compensation scheme has real relevance to the debate. But PI insurance for everybody is an issue around particularly what we're seeing in the mortgage market, where we're seeing increased excesses, um, increased premiums alongside increased excesses, and also more exclusion clauses. And it's the exclusions that means that actually the ability of firms to give good rounded advice becomes a bigger problem as well. Because we, we don't want to reach a position where this limits it down to the customer only will get very vanilla solutions all of the time because that's all that the insurers are prepared to cover. Because that's not a great situation for UK PLC and the UK population in terms of all of this. And that's why there has to be commonality of thinking and purpose, whether we're talking about the pensions market, the investment market, or the mortgage market, because consumers, our customers, all have needs for all of that together. And that's why all of us, I think, have a common thread of understanding and feeling of threat to the sector that's being visited on us by the current situation. Absolutely. Gemma, can I turn to you, please, on this? Certainly. Um, yeah, from a, a quilter perspective with our members, yes, the hike in the regulatory fees, I think, was about 20%. Uh, last year. Um, we we actually absorbed part of that for our advisors because it's completely unpalatable to pass it all on. And I think what we see with the, the advisors 
both in the uh, AR and DA space. The reality is these fixed costs do get passed on to the customer. And I think sometimes we're forgetting about that actual end impact. And it's getting more and more difficult for advisors to do that because the pressure on advisor charging. Mm. But, um, you know, the the direct impact on the customer does does happen. The other thing is, you mentioned it in your introduction, in terms of kind of the unpredictability and how that is affecting advisors' thinking, principles of firms, how, how how they're viewing their future and how sustainable it is because it is so unpredictable, both in the PI space, they don't know whether their PI is going to be renewed next year. And running a business on that basis is not sustainable. Mm-hmm. Um, and also with the regulatory fees, well, what are they going to be? And I think you have to be mindful smaller firms don't have the insight that we do, us sitting around this table today virtually, um, have in terms of how the fees are calculated, what's coming around the corner. The small businesses don't have that site. So this kind of surprises that keep landing every year or in the PI space. So the kind of this long-term sustainability for firms, whether they'll want to stay in financial services, and also the other piece is um, barriers to entry. Mm. I mean, the, that kind of reputational issue that's um, been touched on as well is that it's sending the message. Our, reg- our regulatory costs are sending the message to potentially new advisors and consumers that our industry has uh, huge issues which isn't the case so um, it's that whole emotional piece we want to we need new advisors but we're not going to get them until we solve this unpredictability and also the actual cost absolutely if I can stick with you you now Gemma what sort of uh, what sort of solutions can be presented what would what would you like to see if, if you've had the FCA sort of in front of you now what would you be asking them to do I mean I think first of all we have to accept there is reg- there is cost there is regulatory cost but there has to be challenges to how high that cost is. How, you know, if you ran a business, if it was a, a private enterprise, you wouldn't be running it the way that it is run. So I think there has to be challenges there to the regulators, stronger challenges around the costs associated with, with regulation. But we have to accept there will be a level of cost. I think it's collectively sitting down and recognizing the problem and coming up with a solution. Because if it was that easy to articulate, very quickly what it needs to be we would have done it by now but I think it's sitting down and looking at spreading the burden but getting the cost to a realistic level and looking at ways how we can um, plan plan those costs out for the longer term so uh, firms can do their business planning or new entrants coming in it is understandable it's more understandable what those costs will be so more transparent Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Transparency is is absolutely key. Um, Tim, can I come to you next? Because obviously in your organisation, you have some very big firms, but you also have some very small member firms. And I suppose the solution that each of them would want would be different. Does PIMFA have an overall view? I think our overall view is that it is quite straightforward. the, The best outcome, the best solution is to reduce the size of the total pool. And we can talk about how the pool is distributed, but if that total number doesn't start going down, the total amount of compensation that's that's paid out of the scheme, um, then uh, we're simply moving the cost burden around. And, um, and, and there will 
be ways that that does need to be looked at to ensure that it's fair to ensure those that that that, um, that uh, have the most responsibility or the pay the most uh, or can afford the most um, pay a fair amount. But the way we get that total down is by improving FCA supervision to ensure that we don't end up with a scenario, for example. Uh, like mini bonds, where many PIMFA members were warning about mini bonds in 2015, and we're seeing legislation passed this year um, that they've got the right regulatory focus, that they're not simply focused on 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 the very largest firms without any idea what what's going on in the rest of the market, but also that we get the regulatory perimeter right, um, mm. so that that the right uh, so that where products are falling onto the FSCS, those product providers are also having to contribute because that's one of the consequences of them being being unregulated. Um, and what that means is we've been calling on Treasury, uh, FSCS uh, and the FCA to all commit to working together on a holistic review that looks at what the drivers of um, the increases have been, where what the trends are, and then looking very open-mindedly at all of the levers um, that are available to them to get that total number down. Then within that, um, to look at the current distribution, we are, um, uh, you will have seen earlier this week, there was an investment market yes. consultation paper from the FCA. Mm -hmm. We'll be responding to that um, to look at ways in which a risk-based levy can be made to work more effectively. Um, and we're still in discussions with our members on on exactly uh, the right answer in that space, um, but also that we're pushing and financing recovery so that when um, firms uh, do fail, do um, put risk onto the scheme and cost onto the scheme, that where it is their responsibility, that those firms are the ones that compensate their own customers and um, that will be partly powers for the regulator, but in certain circumstances, that will be powers for the police. But what is essentially out-and-out -out fraud that is now falling onto the, the compensation scheme when it really shouldn't. Hmm. It sounds a little bit, Tim, like you wouldn't completely rule out a uh, product regulation. I know the FCA has steered clear of that. Is, is that something that perhaps is, is in the back of your heads or the... I, I don't think it's product regulation um, in in terms of, of what that means in terms of pre-approval. I think it, it is that where a customer can rightly expect that the FCA has an overview of a product, that they do so. So if you ask the vast majority of customers, they would have expected the mini bonds they were buying to be regulated because they looked to them like a reasonable investment and some advice some some salespeople will have explained exactly what they were and the consequence of that and many didn't so i think that's the golden rule is that that where a consumer should expect the fca to have an overview and the, the fca should have some powers and importantly where a product falls on to the fscs in the event of a failure that they are contributing, that product provider is contributing to the FS. Mm. Yes, I know that um, a, a product levy has been uh, it, it is strongly proposed by Amy. 
um, whether the FCA should also be contributing to uh, some of that as well and shouldering some of the blame is, a, is perhaps an, a, another question. Rob, can I come to you? Because you, you, you are strong proponents of a product levy, aren't you? Or product-based levy or provider-based well, we levy. Well, we, we've we've um, always argued, and even in the 2016-18 review, when um, we were in discussions with FCA and, and the FSCS and Treasury were in the room, we were pushing that to say, look, you could probably intervene here and come to a different solution if that was if you were minded to do so. And it's always interesting that the FCA tend to run away from that as a solution because they, they feel they don't want to be in that space. But, you know, when they choose to want to intervene and ask for extensions to their scope, as we see at moment on financial promotions and Bitcoin, they, they, they can find the ability to persuade Treasury to, to change legislation. And so it, I think it's a little bit what sometimes what their appetite is around the edges of this. So yes, I think a product level could be an appropriate way to do this in that then you could almost see a badging happen, which isn't product approval, but you could see a badging that gives the customer certainty that if there's a deduction for product levy, then clearly the product is covered. And that gives greater transparency from both a consumer and an advisor perspective to, in terms of certainty about what is going on here. Um, I think there are other challenges around this because even in that discussions that we had in 16 to 18, which the FCA say they don't want to reopen at the moment, although Farmer does, oh, sorry, the, the, the latest coffee input does open this up again. We talked in that review about more capital or PI extensions or risk-based levies. And ultimately, their decision was that all of those solutions were going to cost more to administer than the benefit. Mm -hmm. Now, what may have changed in two years, I think, is the costs have given, gone up astronomically. Therefore, the cost-benefit analysis might come to a different conclusion. But I think we have to be careful that reopening all of these things and some of the things that the intermediary sector did secure in that process where we very strongly argued that there should be um, provider support in terms of 25% contribution to intermediary costs, because ultimately, the provider should be very clear about who they're selling through and the quality of that. And therefore, part of that polluter element for me is providers having very, very great clarity around what they're doing. The other part of the regulatory framework here, which also it blurs, is that some people who look like product manufacturers actually come in the definition of intermediary. Mm. And that, that gap as well creates blurring because the, the, in, the, broke, the, 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 the advisor thinks they're buying from a manufacturer but actually the definition of that firm is an intermediary because they've pulled together a product in their own right. And that makes the, all the costs still sit on the total intermediary class, which is the advisor. So greater clarity on some of these other things can be part of this debate if the FCA is not minded or Treasury is not minded to go for what I still believe is a better solution in terms of product levy because the amount of cost per product would be infinitesimally small in comparison to some of the things we're seeing at the moment being visited mm -hmm. on firms. Now, Keith, uh, you've also talked about uh, market asset-based levy, which again is looking at an infinitesimally small sort of a, a levy being applied across a wider uh, a wider spread. Could you explain how that might work from your perspective, please? Yeah, of course, uh, certainly. The uh, I mean, first of all, the what we've got to be mindful of is that uh, back in 2016, when we had the financial advice market review. Um, the both FSCS and PII was included as, as part of that. And as Rob has already mentioned, we, we explored things like risk-based levies, and it comes with too many unintended consequences. And I still believe that will be the conclusion of the current consultation. So in principle, it sounds good. Uh, but actually, if you're deemed to be a higher risk firm and pay more, then actually there should be regulatory concerns 
about how you're operating. It also was deemed that it could drive the wrong behaviours where it, it drives advisors away from recommending certain uh, products or assets, uh, classes, because it impacts their levy. So that doesn't mean then the consumer ends up with the right solution mm. to make needs. So, so we shouldn't underestimate just how complex it is when you try to tinker around with who pays the fee. So what we ended up with last time was uh, basically a, a reshuffling of the levy debt chairs. So arguing who pays what and when and who is just wasting time. Um, you know, in a very simple principle, advisors know that if they start from afresh, they're a particularly good risk from a PI perspective because they've got no legacy liability. And the chances are it's actually your past advice that's going to result in a claim today, not your current. Um, but of course, as they build up legacy liability through, through past advice, then of course, premiums can reflect that liability. So if you think of the FSCS, it's just a massive pot of past liabilities that no one quite understands. I mentioned one large network earlier. There were many back in the uh, you know the early noughties yeah. that collapsed, and all their liability sits there. Many people have long forgotten the names, but I, sadly enough, go long enough back that I could recite mm -hmm. them. Um, so I think for, for us, the you can go around the houses for as long as you want. The real truth is sometimes we're we're distorting the debate because we talk about levies as if we're frustrated about the cost of contribution to protecting consumers. And that's taken wrongly by policymakers. Uh, so actually what happens then is nothing happens. And all the FCA have the power to do is determine how much the levy is along with the FSCS and who should pay it. What they have no jurisdiction over is whether or not the whole fundamental system should, should be uh, reviewed and reformed. Mm to align or address the problems that we're all facing. And that so sits with HM Treasury, doesn't it? Absolutely. It only sits with government. And when we had the financial advice market review, I got quite, quite encouraged because it was very clear the Treasury got it. They understood the problem. Now, we at the time were calling for a much broader review than was being undertaken. I know Amy were doing the same. Uh, and since then, we've written back to the Chancellor and we have offered some solutions that address both PI and uh, FSCS. Now, just before I give you the what, what I, we've proposed as a solution, what is really important to understand is, yes, of course, it's frustrating when your premiums increase sometimes tenfold, which is exactly what we've heard from some members. But that doesn't necessarily mean you're out of business. What it means is back to a point that Gemma made earlier, it means that you've got to increase the cost of your service, which means your pool of clients end up having to pay disproportionately more to protect every other consumer that falls within the system. So that isn't right. Absolutely not. For me, however, the biggest issue is what this has demonstrated is that insurers can retract themselves from the market on an annual basis. So not only can they increase premiums, they can substantially change the terms of the cover that you and your clients have. And worse than that, they can decide that they want to exit the market. And that leaves a firm completely left with all the liability. Now, effectively, if they can't secure uh, adequate protection, then they have to close down as a firm anyway. Uh, and if that forces them into administration, then all of their liability sits in the FSCS. So, you know, people have really got to grapple with this isn't just about increasing premiums. This is about the amount of risk exposure for the sector, 
the uh, the instability that will create and the massive impact it would have on consumer protection and access to future financial advice. So we really feel passionate that, you know, we've got to be careful that we don't keep focusing on what sounds like a frustrated cry of increased premium when policymakers are just not listening to that. It's got to be that this is rocking the foundation of consumer protection, the foundation of, of the sector, and ultimately public trust. Now, if you're a regulator, you should be there to engender trust in the sector you're regulating, not undermine it. So the FCA do have a really important role here to equally influence the government that it's time for a root and branch review. So we have absolutely called on the Treasury. We've written to the Chancellor. In fact, I met the Treasury last Wednesday uh, to continue that dialogue around the need for a financial advice market review. We need to go back into engaging government in a much wider debate that incorporates protection and the cost of operation. And as was mentioned earlier, the barriers to entry uh, for new entrants, let alone those that are existing here. So if we're not careful, if we focus too much on the emotional sense that in August, uh, a lot of firms saw a massive hike in FSCS, uh, which creates a bit of a, a, a spike in frustration. And then if we're not careful, that sort of dies down and, and the yeah. policy makers carry on as they are. So. We have offered a solution that, that we believe brings both FSCS and PI together, that it provides a, a much more sustainable outcome. It doesn't mean that the sector doesn't contribute to the cost of regulation because, of course, as Gemma said, any responsible sector recognises it, it has a contribution to make to uh, the regulatory infrastructure that, that supervises it. Uh, and indeed, you know, we all want to play a part in making sure that we contribute to consumer education and indeed protection should some of our peers fail in their endeavors because you know businesses fail not because they did the wrong thing but they just actually didn't get their financials right so i think again we've got to be careful we don't keep blaming failed firms for being deliberate polluters when actually that isn't the case at all and i, I gave you an example earlier so we think that if you look at the whole of the retail investment pool um, of some 10 trillion uh, it would take a few basis points that could be collected centrally into a centralized pool. Uh, it can still operate in a similar way. To, so it would negate the need for PI insurance at all. So of course you don't have the issue of having to keep securing your cover every year. Uh, what it would do is of course, it would still mean that anyone where a complaint was upheld would have to have an initial excess. Uh, so it doesn't mean that everyone pays the same amount. So those that do end up uh, up with uphill complaints per bit more. So it's a sort of variation, I guess, on, on you know, Rob's explanation of a product levy. We've taken it further because product levy isn't, is you know, the FCA have made it very clear they don't like the idea of the pro product levy. So we've thought a bit further. And of course, the key thing for us, if you're really going to protect consumers, and the big issue we've got at the moment is the risk of increasing risk of scams, is that we need to create a pool that funds consumer education to better empower and inform them and engage them in their financial well-being, as well as having some protection there should or when things go wrong. Mm. Uh, and that really is, is where we're really drive it, trying to drive the agenda. Now, I think some in, in the investment world think we, we're suggesting that that's an increased levy on them, and it's not at all. It comes from the retail pool. So more transparently, every consumer who gets uh, protection should make a very small contribution to that rather than a disproportionately small number 
of regulated advised clients who otherwise are having to shoulder the increased cost where advisors have to pass that on. So I, I from our point of view, Simony, uh, the reason that we've come up with solutions is because it's no good keep talking about the problems. Yeah. We've got to start offering solutions to create debate. Now, whether or not that's the right solution or not is not the point. It's we believe passionately and we can evidence that we think that that's a viable solution that that better protects the public, better protects the sector reduces some of the barriers and starts to address some of the issues that were identified in the the financial advice market review 2 is exactly why we're calling for financial advice market review 2 what i'm really pleased to see is so many of us are joining together uh to you know this isn't a race or competition of who's going to compete by you know raising this issue better than the other this is about a collective everyone is affected and this is quite a serious issue so we've got to get the sector to join together. You know, we've been going at this since, you know, I can evidence the first letter to George Osborne in 2015. And then three months later, after a meeting with Harriet Baldwin, uh, the first financial advice market review was announced. Uh, but many others have been going at it. You know, I know Rob's been campaigning, you know, Pimfer or, or their predecessor clearly was involved in the debate. So, you know, this is not unique to anyone. What I would say to all the advisors out there as well, continue to engage your MP, but be careful because if it just looks like you're whinging about cost, what the Treasury will do is kick back your MP and say, oh, sorry, that's nothing to do with us. You've got to go and talk to the FCA because they're responsible for setting the, yeah. the level. That isn't what we need. We need a government re-engaged in the challenges that, that are being faced, and it's only the government that can actually uh, instigate a full root and branch review. Yes, and we absolutely need a, a full root and branch review because, we, as you said, we don't want another Honester. I mean, we have, what, was it 902 or something advisors left out in the cold, 300 advice firms, and a lot of them were really good, hardworking, honest-to-goodness financial advisors who've done the right thing by their clients all the time. And, you know, that, that's why we saw so many of them get snapped up by um, uh, networks like Tenet at the time because they were they were good financial advisors. They didn't sort of deserve to sort of have, have that situation, you know, have, have what they had. But um, Gemma, can I come to you? Do you think we need FAMA too? And how would you, how would you go about encouraging your quarter advisors to, to, to push for that? Um, I do. Um, and I actually yeah, concur with what Keith's saying there in terms of the focus that it needs to have. I think uh, just be mindful sometimes that you get creep into uh, as those reviews they tend to focus sometimes on the um, known problems rather than solving the difficult ones so I think it's absolutely key that that the remit of that the scope of that does focus on fundamentally changing the areas that particularly Keith there was 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 talking about I think the other thing for me around the review is that this pace that we need to get this change in Otherwise, the uh, our market's going to change significantly. And what I mean by that, in terms of at the moment, firms have a choice whether they're DA, whether they're whether they're AR. But what we're seeing now is because of the regulatory fees and the PI issue, that firms that perhaps are better suited to be directly authorised are coming across those networks. And as much as I like that from a commercial point of view, from a quilter perspective, I think you know we need to have the choice. 
And do you want to create massive, just massive networks as home for the smaller advisory businesses? And I don't think that that, that is the place um, that we want to be. So, And also the need to have new advisors coming in, et cetera. So if we don't move this at pace, our market is going to contract and contract. And from a consumer point of view, access to advice is going to be very, very restricted. And that is not not right. So I think it's the, the, the pace of it. And absolutely, um, in, in, in an AR world, they kind of are a little bit shielded because they don't directly pay these fees. But equally, they are very aware of the increasing regulatory burden that is being put on them from a financial perspective because it gets passed on. So we would say to advisors, you absolutely speak to your MPs. But it, it isn't it isn't about just getting this cost down. It is about fundamentally changing uh, that part of the uh, financial services industry. Absolutely. Um, Keith, you want to make a point about Honister? Yeah, similarly, I, I, I mean, both uh, Gemma and I actually were at Tenor. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, collapsed. Yeah. And uh, I've got to say, you know, I had a huge amount of regard for the management and the team of Honister, as I did for the quality of the uh, the financial advisors that sat within that network. So I just wanted to make the point that a huge amount of liability went into the FSCS, but absolutely not because of any deliberate attempts or because they were polluters. Quite the opposite. These were quality. This was a quality operation with quality uh, financial advisors yeah. that sat within it and it just goes to show it was the pressure and cost of regulation and the liability that comes with that that tipped Honister uh, over the edge yeah. by not being able to secure their PI insurance. That's the kind of risk that is faced by many firms that are not quite understood today. So I think you know we shouldn't we've got to be really careful that we don't start throwing stones thinking that Anything that fell was a polluter or a deliberate rather than a victim of the challenges that everyone is facing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Robert, I can see you nodding in agreement there. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think Keith's absolutely right that not all of the people that dropped in there, but the liability is such. And I think one of the challenges the compensation scheme has at these points is that they have a customer who then complains about something and there is no file. There's no way of defending. They can only take it against a, a balanced opinion which is very difficult because they're trying to defend from an abstract position, which adds to the liability, which is a huge issue. But to come to the point, which is around um, some form of advice market review, at Farmer One, they restricted the scope quite significantly in terms of it predominantly being about the investment and pensions advice market. I think if we're going to do this piece of work this time, it has to be right across the advice piece, whether that brings in and brings in mortgages and insurance broking as well. Because I think it's fundamental that whatever solution we produce out at the back end of all of this works for every aspect of the advice marketplace and we all work together to deliver that outcome. And we see that as a holistic solution that works in the long term for everybody, not for one particular element, which um, yeah. risks all of us not being in the right place because the consumer doesn't understand the differentiations we make internally about how we conduct our business and how the regulator looks at us. And therefore, I think from a consumer perspective, we have to get this right, right across the piece. Absolutely. Tim, can I come to you and ask for Pimper's view on this? Yeah, I mean, I think this is a, an incredibly important um, point. And I think we are supportive of, of something that would be pharma too, but, but that deals with many of the problems of pharma, that it's wider, that it's more holistic. Um, and But it's important to be uh, careful about the timing. And the reason for that is one of the conclusions that pharma too came to was essentially the government's hands were tied by MIFID. 
And so if you look at what they did on, say, the definition of advice, they aligned that with the MIFID definition of advice because they couldn't go any further. And they looked at things like rules of thumb and discovered, effectively gave up that the, 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 um, they, they couldn't even give clear rules of thumb that could be provided without giving full regulated advice. So there is an opportunity given that, that most of those elements of MIFID don't have any equivalence provisions, that even if the government uh, agrees the maximum deal that they're proposing on financial services, um, we will have the ability to change our rules to suit the UK market. And that means that there's an opportunity to think much more, much more broadly about what the right, um, right advice market and right investment market is um, for the UK and for the specifics of, of the UK market. And that gives the government a far wider range of um, powers and opportunities to deal with the, the very real challenges around PI and around um, the compensation scheme itself. I'd also say there's a, a review launching in the next few months of the uh, regulatory structures overall. So that will include things like uh, the checks and balances on the regulator, how the regulator interacts with the Treasury, um, what its objectives are, how it structures itself. And a lot of that may seem technical or, or you know, exactly how Parliament interacts with, with the FCA may not seem terribly relevant to, to individual advisors, but this will determine how their overarching strategy operates. And I think one of the big opportunities is to find ways of bringing these wider concerns into the FCA. So that whether that's through politicians, whether that's through changing objectives, they have to look at what they're doing to the wider market, what they're doing to the attractiveness of the UK as somewhere to, to run a financial services business, and whether they are promoting good consumer outcomes overall, which you know I know talking to our members, that is what they're focused on day in, day out, is their clients and getting good outcomes for their clients. And, and that is what they want to see regulation achieving uh, in total. And, and they are not feeling that they're seeing that at the moment. Mm, excellent. Tim, I'm afraid I'm, I'm very conscious of, of the time here and we, we have actually run out. But I think what I'm hearing from all of you is that while there are challenges, there are great opportunities. So there will be opportunities to respond to consultations. There are opportunities already to respond to call to inputs. And I know it seems like an extra bit of writing burden or an extra bit of um, administration that perhaps advice firms don't want to do. But if you do nothing, as Keith Richards said at our forum the other day, if you do nothing, nothing will happen. So um, it's really important that you do engage and engage on, yes, you can engage on a personal firm level, but also think more widely about what you really want to change. Because as uh, both Robert and Keith have, uh, and Gemma in fact have said, if you simply sort of just complain about costs, all you're going to do is get it kicked back at you from your MP or from the Treasury, or whatever, saying that oh, that's for the FCA to decide. But if you look at long term regulatory structures, if you look at what is actually best for the consumer, what might be best for a functional and effective uh, financial regulatory market in the UK, then we need to look deeper. So maybe, you know, let's uh, let's keep on writing. We've got template letters available. Um, I'm sure Amy and Pimfer can also give a steer to you if you want to have a little bit more of a, a, a particular steer on that. 
Um, do keep writing and write with purpose so that the Treasury has to pay attention to the overarching regulatory structure in the UK. And um, all we can do also is just keep impressing upon them the need for um, a market that works for consumers, for financial advisors and for government, because let's face it, we all want to work together on this. Anyway, I'm afraid from Robert, Tim, Keith, Gemma and myself, thank you very much for listening and until next time. Take care. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.